Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? You can advertise your band, a new album, your company, a service you provide, or just yourself, and it will be heard around the world, and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. Email me at Conversations with Dwyer, and we could begin discussing how to get your advertisement up on an episode or multiple episodes of Conversations with Dwyer. Again, email me at Conversations with Dwyer at gmail.com. And remember, that ad will be heard around the world. Now, how about we enjoy this latest episode of Conversations with Dwyer? with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, and speaking of music, the song that played me in is No Mutuals by the band Fake Fruit from their self-titled album, which is out on Rocks in Your Head Records. And my guest today is the singer of that song and the one of the songwriters and the main songwriters of the band, Hannah D'Amato, or as she goes by Ham, because she likes food, though I don't believe I called her Ham once in the uh, show. I might not have even called her Hannah. Who knows? Listen and find out. Uh, if you are a fan of Fake Fruit or you're new to them, please go to the show notes. You could buy that album on digital or vinyl. I highly suggest you do so. Uh, it's a great album. It's one of my favorite new albums uh, to come out. And uh, speaking of in the show notes, you could also go to there's a, the charity. She talks about a charity that she works with where they help unhoused people eat and employ them and all kinds of great stuff. It's, uh, I believe it's called Mutual Aid. That's show notes in the show notes as well. And uh, I, they had a new video come out, so that I might have that in the show. Anyway, you'll be able to find all things fake fruit in the show notes. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. And speaking of the show notes, you can also go to uh, uh, my stuff about me, and you could go to... Uh, the Patreon, and instead of listening to this episode, you could watch the video version of it, and you could see Hannah's splendid face and my weird face, and uh, there's extra bonus footage. Also, if you become a Patreon subscriber, you get episodes early. You could have listened to this a week or so ago. Uh, Sometimes the episodes, like my Kid Congo episode, is a two-parter, so part two solely lives on Patreon. Become a Patreon subscriber. You also get a cool pin that's designed by former guest and actor, musician, Charlene Yee. So that's worth it right there. And sometimes I give them to the guests. So if Hannah's listening, if you want a pin, text me and I'll get you a pin. Uh, I, I, I just want to say, like, uh, sometimes, like, it seems like these intros would be the easiest thing on the in the world to record. But I, th- I swear to God, it's the hardest part of the job is these intros. Uh, f- like, one time... This this is like my sixth, seventh attempt at this today. Uh, I had some asshole with a one of those loud motorcycles like revving outside of my garage where I record this, and it's like, dude, why do you, why is that acceptable? <laughs> like, I don't like. I we get it. You're a guy. You have a motorcycle. You, and not to be like uh, cliche or trite, we get it. It's an extension of your of your wiener. But it's like just revving it loudly outside my, like what, and it's, you know, it's early on a Saturday morning. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. Why would you wake everybody up? Some people were drinking last night. I don't know. I don't understand the, uh, 
whole automotive. I hate cars. I I just wish we all took trains, rode scooters, electric scooters, and buses, electric buses. Cars are so fucking stupid. <laughs> uh, there was really no point to that. But it was just frustrating because I was about to finish the intro. Guy revving his motorcycle loudly for no reason. You know? Okay, we get it. You have a motorcycle. You're brave. One day you'll probably not walk because you have a motorcycle. I had I had a scooter. I had a scooter for, and I got hit twice in a year. I don't know why anybody would, you know, I would, like, motorcycles are great. I've owned those too, but uh, I don't want to die. I don't want to die because uh, I like silly fun. That's all. That's my idiotic rant. Um, uh, by the way, just please tell your friends about the show. That would be cool. Share it on social media. That would also be cool. Uh, and uh, go to my conversations with Dwyer Instagram. Now, because that's a great way to know who's coming. I've had a lot of great past guests. So anyway, um, this is my conversation with Hannah D'Amato from Fake Fruit. Enjoy. <laughs> Are you still a nanny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have been for like nine years, and I am um, through the pandemic. I've been working for one family. It was like a nanny share situation, and then when the pandemic started, the um, other family who was bringing their baby to the other baby's house was like, "I don't know, germs and COVID." So my hours got cut, my pay got cut in half. I like lost a day. I don't know. It's, it was like a whole thing, but it's become really easy and I'm not, you know, never mind. People might listen to this. I'm not <laughs> I, whatever, I, just so you know, anything you said, like I can cut out later if you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I, yeah. I, I honor that. What? I, haven't, I haven't said anything incriminating. I, I guess just before with the nanny share, I was kind of like, oh, dang, like I'm actually making good money. Like I can put stuff away. And now I'm, I'm like, I don't start work till 10. So I don't know. Like I'm not making as much money, but I'm comfortable and I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to like pay for BART. The baby comes to my house a lot of the time. It's like really ideal for me. How old is so, the baby? He's going to be two in May. Did you stumble into the baby thing or did you, the baby thing? <laughs> that's what, the, that's what they call it. The baby thing. Or is that, cause I've kind of done. <laughs> did you stumble into the baby thing? Be honest. Was your kid a surprise? <laughs> my first kid was a surprise. <laughs> did I? Uh, yeah. And then I, uh, but I've nannied too. I've like, I nannied a kid in New York and I worked at a school and it's like different. It's, I don't know. It's fascinating, interesting yeah. work. Pardon me? What school did you work at? I can't remember the name of it. It was, yeah. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was for emotionally um, challenged and autistic kids. Like developmentally disabled? Yeah. I guess it, it's been a long time since I lived in New York and worked there, but it was, I love, I really loved it. And there was like a couple kids I got really like, we both got very at attached. Like they were like, it was like my buddies <laughs> every day. And it was, yeah. and there was, yeah. Um, did you, cause you started that in New York and that f took you to Vancouver? Yeah, exactly. I was with one family out there for, I think total New York and Vancouver combined was probably like a little over four years. Is that, that's what, I mean, you kind of in a way become part of the family. Fa do you find yourself becoming very attached to the entire situation? 
Yeah, absolutely. When um, the kid I watch, um, his dad came to pick him up today, and I was like, hey, I just, like, made all these floral arrangements. Like, bring some flowers home to your wife. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can close. Um, it's like, yeah, the kind of job that, you know, sometimes, like, some boundaries are going to be crossed that wouldn't be crossed in the average workplace. Um, but I don't know. I think that the benefits definitely are, like, so much better than the downfalls. When, because you had a band and you had a lot of things going on in New York, correct? Before, and then you, was that the first incarnation of Fake Fruit? Yeah, it was just um, a two-piece at the time. I think I was nannying, working at a coffee shop. So opening the coffee shop up at like six in the morning, work six to 11, take a cat nap from 11 to 12, run to the train, go pick up the kids from school, take them home, do the homework, bath, cook them dinner, and then um, go work either the restaurant job I had. I lived above a Vietnamese restaurant called Lucy's. I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, what neighborhood was that in? Um, it was, uh, what was that? off of the Myrtle Wyckoff L&M. Oh, no. Yeah. They, I think now they have a spot like on Bedford or something, but the food's really good. Anyway, so I'd work there and I'd work there from like 8.30 or something to 10 or 11 to close up shop and then like power nap again and then go down the street to the practice space. And then um, my bandmate at the time, uh, I was dating him and he worked in a pizza place and he didn't get off until I want to say like one in the morning or something. So I would just sleep before practice and then we'd practice until like 3 a.m. And then I would sleep for three hours and then open up the coffee shop again the next day. Jesus Christ. That's, I mean, that's how, I lived in New York almost 20 years ago, but that's how, (laughs) I was just hustling constantly and my rent was cheap, but I just couldn't, I couldn't, did you grow up in New York proper city? Mm -hmm. No, I'm actually, I was born in LA. Oh, you were? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't I, I, that factoid I missed. <laughs> yeah, I don't want anyone to know where I'm from or where I'm going. <laughs> Never <see> me down. Because <laughs> uh, I found, I don't know if it's you, but there's a video of a person with your name singing the national anthem at a... Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to, okay, I did the national anthem circuit. I did the ALS walk. I did uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Um, I got asked to sing at a rodeo once, but my mom was like, I don't know. Um, Yeah, and then did it for the, yeah. Oh, breakfast for the mayor too. Sing the national anthem for him. And I got out of school for it in (laughs) seven. Yeah. I won't do it again, but um, I feel like kind of embarrassed about it. And every once in a while, like friends will find it. But then I've kind of come around. I'm like, damn, I, I was singing my heart out. Like not everybody can do that. And I'm proud of that. I'm not proud of the country. And I wouldn't sing the song today with the kind of gusto that I did back then, but I'm proud that I did it. I was just, and I'm with you on everything you said. I just was, but what struck me is that you were, it's clearly you seemed like you wanted to be singing at a young age and you were sort of on that path. That's what stuck out to me. I wasn't trying to gotcha with. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, um, had this best friend who I made in elementary school and her mom 
owned this like music studio and they also did plays. Um, so at a certain point I started, you know, I just wanted to be with my best friend all the time and she was taking piano lessons. And I remember I used to, they would let me sit in on the lessons and I would just like watch and then go home to my tiny little Yamaha keyboard and just like try and regurgitate what I had learned. Um, and then eventually my parents like felt guilted into like getting an upright piano for me. And then I would just like obsessively listen to some piano piece and like press play on my little like mini iPod thing and pause it after one second and like find the note and then press play and find the next note. And I like, I was obsessed. I couldn't be like pried off of the piano bench if you tried. And did, I'm, I'm going to guess that you made strides in that, like got to whole songs and all that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think I started off like wanting to learn other people's songs. And I meanwhile was also like doing plays and doing theater and I was also an orchestra and band. And then going into high school, um, I got accepted into like a high school for the arts. And I had to decide if I wanted to do theater or if I wanted to keep playing viola in orchestra. And I decided to go with theater. And then I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but by, I think my junior year or so, no sophomore year, I had started playing in bands with my friends who went to the local high school and I kind of had like my double life and I was you know like feeling pretty far away from the rest of the kids in my conservatory and I was able to kind of tailor my program so that I could like take a songwriting class and you know like just kind of carve out time for myself for that. What was your high school bands like? Um <laughs> <If you don't. laughs> No. Um I think because we were all in orchestra, we were like really proud of like our tech technical skills and like we just wanted to be like I don't know, we just wanted to be like, look at our chops, you know? I don't think that we were really like writing songs like what does it sound like if we all like sit in a room together and like what do we care about writing about, you know? We were just like, how do we sound like we're way older than we are? <laughs> um. That's, I mean, I was go- doing theater stuff in high school, too, and I was trying to be older, too. I was yeah. doing I- I- imp- comedy improv in high school. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yes, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, it's funny, because when I play with my daughter, she doesn't yes and, and there's like still like that, because I did it for years, there's still that instinct where I'm like, she'll just go, no. And I'm like, that's not how this works. <laughs> never do that. Going. What part of LA were you in? Um, so I was born in Whittier, um, but I grew up in Orange County. Oh, okay. Yeah. Orange County's... Pretty I... bad. Yes. <laughs> I remember... Yeah. Because there's a, a Chicago restaurant in um, Buena Park, and as soon as you hit the border, I mean, this is years ago, but as soon as you hit the L.A. County, Orange County border, there was a birther uh, billboard just immediately letting you know that you were in in the d- deep red. I think I didn't even really notice how conservative it was until I moved away all the way to New York. And then I would hear about Orange County in this way that I was like, oh, God, I didn't even realize I was so like insulated in like my little bubble of my friends and high school. And we were like obviously talking about our views and 
what we thought of politics, but I wasn't like, hmm, like that neighbor next door is like, I don't talk to people. He's like kind of weird and probably pretty racist and fucked up. Yeah. Can I say fuck? Yeah, I, I have already said fuck. I already beat you to it. Okay, sorry, I didn't even... Um, when did you go... Or I might, maybe I didn't say fuck, but I say it often, so I wouldn't be surprised. Um, which is great when you have a five-year-old, then they start saying fuck. Yeah, you got to be careful. Pretty soon you got to cap it. Yeah, I already <laughs> had to. I'm not so good at capping it. Fudge, like a Christmas story. I didn't say fudge. <laughs> Did you, do you ever slip up when you're nannying or are you pretty like, uh, you're probably already in the, that zone? I'm pretty good at it, but I think I kind of got back into it when I was working for babies and I forgot to answer your question. Yes. I kind of stumbled into babies or kind of, well, I didn't lie. I stretched the truth. Um, cause I had been working for older kids and when I was moving down to the Bay, I was kind of trying to find a new job and I've been really lucky to just be kind of passed around the same network of friends and families and somebody, um, who, okay, let's see. So my old bosses, I don't know if this is worth it. My old bosses, <laughs> um, dad, or sorry, wait, old bosses, best friends, brother lives in the Bay area. And he has a baby who had a baby friend, and those two were looking for a nanny share. So then I was like, yeah, I've worked with babies, and I've done nanny shares before. Um, but I did it, and I'm really good at it, surprisingly. Had you changed a diaper before? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I took care of my little cousins when they were young, and I nannied them, but I'd never watched two baby babies at once. So it was an adjustment for sure. <laughs> it's uh, my wife was watching a kid the same when my daughter was like two or three, and so we'd have two, and it was just like pure hell. To like anybody who has twins and how you would like function without hard drugs is just beyond me. Yeah, hard. I people always ask me like how I would cope with it, and I just kind of like take an Oprah um, approach to it. Like you get a bottle, you get a bottle, you get a diaper, you get a diaper. <laughs> It's the only way to do it. You're, and I mean, there's no, like, downtime. You're not, like, watching the clock ever. No. So that's good, I guess. So what what uh, drew you to New York City? Just to get the fuck out of California? Yeah, I mean, that was always the plan. But um, I was really interested in the music scene out there at the time. And I was into a lot of bands that were based in Brooklyn. And um, I in high school got nominated to sing in like a national honors choir. And I'd never sang in a choir before, but they're like, you're going to New York and like, you'll get to sing at Carnegie hall. And I did the movie thing where you like pretend to be sick. And I like snuck out when everybody was going to Rockefeller center or something. And I went to Brooklyn and I went to Roberta's pizza and I like saw a concert. And then I just decided like where I belong. Wow. When you got to New York, though, and you started living in New York, did you, uh, was it what you thought it would be? Um, I think it was more than I had wanted. I have amazing parents who are very loving, but as a teenager, especially, you know, like, even if you don't have smothering parents, you can feel smothered. And all I wanted was like a little room to spread out and do my thing. 
and yeah, New York was just perfect. And I loved like being able to get myself around town on the train and like trying to sneak into shows because I wasn't 21 and I would just like go to whatever bar or venue the band that I was wanting to see was playing at. And I would like beg the doorman, like you can put X's like all over my body. Like, just let me go in. Like, I really want to see the music and it would work sometimes. And I just like felt so excited that I had gotten myself to where I wanted to be. And I wasn't in school also. So I was like doing it my way. And that felt good. You totally skipped college. Um, I did one semester at a community college in Fullerton. I took a, an art history class that um, was laughable. And I took a, <laughs> I couldn't get any of the classes that I needed. And so I ended up taking an art history class and a music business class. That was all I had. And the teacher of the music business class was just like obsessed with Kate Bush and like only talk about, like, I don't know what was going on there. I don't know. I just felt like, I was wasting time there and I didn't want to wait. And I was thinking about transferring to the Berkeley college of music because I auditioned as a senior and I got in, but it just wasn't enough scholarship money to justify my going. So then I was like, okay, I'll do community college felt like so restless and then moved to New York. And I told my parents like, I'll audition again. And, and you know, this time like <laughs> it'll work out. And I did get in again and I got more scholarship money, but I just had a really annoying audition. And I think while I was playing, like it's like all white dudes who are doing the interviewing and auditioning. And while I was playing, like some guy came and like turned the amp down and I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't want to. Oh. So I skipped it. And I'm kind of happy I did. If, if it makes anybody I've known who's gone to Berkeley, they have all quit. Yeah. And they've all, uh, like my buddy Dan Aid, like he plays with everybody on earth and he, and he was just, I think he did like a year if that. And he was just like, I, he was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to go do it. Like what's. Yeah. Why wait? Yeah. And by the way, you're not going to make that much money. So like, why put yourself in so much when you're already not going to make money? Just like makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, was it hard to, to, leave New York because it seems like this idyllic dream world and then you went to Vancouver which is I've never been but I've I it it's one of those places that I feel draw is asking me to come there <laughs> um it was it was difficult um I think I was feeling a little scared and not ready to fully commit to the relationship that I was in at the time so it was kind of like a golden ticket out and yeah, I was going somewhere that I had never been either. And I didn't know anything about it. Didn't know anybody who lived there. And I think as I get older, like I'm not kind of thrill seeking in that way, but at the time, like nothing could be more exciting to me. And my family that I was working for, like paid to move all my stuff. So, I mean, it was kind of like a no brainer for me. And I was so pleasantly surprised when I got there so I was kind of thinking like there might not really be a music scene and like worst case scenario, like I'm probably going on hikes a lot and that's okay, <laughs> you know, and I'll have time to work on music. Um, but yeah, I really loved the local scene and that sounds like a robot. I love the local music scene. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've interviewed a number of people from Vancouver and I, I mean, 
I, it's from what I know of it, it's great. What year were you there, roughly? Um, I was there. What year is it now? Twenty twenty one. I was there two thousand eighteen, seventeen to eighteen, or eighteen to nineteen. Okay, no, eighteen. I think that sounds right. Did you ever come across uh, the Apollo Ghost? Um, I never saw them live, but um, I think I might have seen Adrian Teacher. Yeah, I love Adrian. Uh, it, he, I've interviewed him and uh, Nicholas uh, Krogovich. Do you know Nicholas? Um, His mu- he was in a band. Shit, what was his band called? It, um, Tiny. Shit, it's after a John Lurie song. But he, he also does a lot of solo stuff, and he's really he, he'll be listening to this too. <laughs> so, but has, he's is he's a gifted, uh, very talented man. Cool. Yeah, I was like really blown away with all the bands that I saw out there. I don't really remember seeing a band that I was like, sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody's really good. And, and I really liked how small the community was. It felt so different than New York. I feel like just kind of felt like I was like playing in other people's bands in New York and like kind of hanging back being wallflower and observing like everybody who was a little older than me. Cause I was, scared and I didn't really know how to like write for my voice yet I don't know I just was like hmm, I like this band I should sound like them but that never works yeah I don't know if do you think that was I felt that same way in New York I feel like I went there with a sense of what I did and who I was and something about New York made me second guess so many things and it was really bizarre because I would say I was semi-accomplished or fairly accomplished from Chicago to New York and I just kind of lost all sense of confidence (laughs) it was really bizarre yeah it can make you feel kind of like a rat like I remember feeling relieved when I got to Vancouver and even out here like just not having buildings be like way taller than you makes you feel so much less small. Not that I'm like, I run this town or anything, but it you just feel like you're a rat because there's rats everywhere all the time and you're like underground and it's muggy and it smells like trash and you're just like, I think I'm just a rat in this like whole rat kingdom. Yeah. And it doesn't always feel good, but then sometimes it does. Like it just to survive in that city is an accomplishment. You have to like want to be a little uncomfortable, I think. Yeah, I was uncomfortable. I there was moments and I had my friends were doing very well, so I was I had friends who were like writing and working on television and so it was like I would go to these fancy things. So it was also tricking me of like, hey, I'm I'm doing it. And then one day I was just like, I'm not doing shit. I'm just along for a ride. <laughs> it's like uh, and that's why I I've ended up leaving as well. I just felt like all right, I got to break out of this <clears throat> cycle of otherwise I'd be a floppy nothing surreal yeah and you said that the you found that the scene in uh vancouver was a lot more supportive especially to uh women is yeah i i mean not to say that vancouver is without its problems because it definitely is not a perfect place nowhere is but um i don't know maybe it was just like blatantly bad in new york or something And I think I just immediately fell in with this special group of people who like all played in each other's bands and like somebody always had your back. And I also feel like 
like the sound guy, at least maybe this is totally in my mind, but like in New York, like the sound guy is like just some guy who like does that job. Like in all the different venues, it's just some person who like doesn't play music, but maybe went to school to like be an audio engineer or something. I don't know. It's like just that, that guy does that job. But I felt like in Vancouver, it's like, Oh, that's that guy who plays in that band. Like he understands like what you're looking for. And he's not going to like say some weird shit to you or something, you know? I've, I've heard that from a lot of other musicians that the, the sound guy is often the asshole. <laughs> yeah, it can be really bad. Like, uh, I've had my guitar around me and I've been like, you know, plugging in all my pedals, getting my shit set up and had like a sound guy be like, um, when's your boyfriend getting here? I'm like, excuse me. It's like, um, like a guitar player. I'm like, no, I'm, what? what? <laughs> like, wh- why do you assume that? Like, it's on me and I'm the one doing it? Like, what? Well, I've always said if I'm going to start a band, I'm going to have my girlfriend go down and set up my stuff while I take a nap. Like, that's just like, in the, like that's just such an asshole, weird, uh, so many levels of asshole, I can't get my mind around it. Yeah, it's it's hard to unpack. I'm trying to think about other ways that... um that people are sexist and not sexist in New York and in Vancouver. One place, the great equalizer for sexism is Guitar Center. Oh, really? Yeah, or not equalizer. I mean, you're guaranteed to have like a horrible oh. experience. Um, I think even, yeah, I, I, any Guitar Center I've ever been to, I've, there's always been something like... There's always some guy who's like, are you looking for the microphones? <laughs> and I'm like leaning over the used pedal case, like, man, can I afford this like $30 pedal? <laughs> and somebody's like, the microphones are that way. <laughs> um, really. <laughs> it's funny. Like you have, you have to cope with humor. The, um, yeah. I've been into the guitar center on the sunset strip a few times and, and it's just always, it's just weird. And, and I'm not even a musician and it's weird. And there's like that, sort of like false swagger with a lot of the guys. Like, I'm sure your band had their five minutes, pal, but <laughs> it's like... Yeah. Yeah, you always... I don't know, Guitar Center is so funny, but um, we love the rental program. Do you know about the Guitar Center rental program? No. Um, so you just like say last minute you're like playing kind of... I don't know, some sort of like DIY setup where you need to bring your own PA. Um, so you can just go to Guitar Center and buy the PA. And then after the gig, um, the next day, you come back and you say, it just didn't work out. You can do it with anything. Really? <laughs> <laughs> the rental program. Um, yeah, that's what we do. It's pretty fun. Do it do- doesn't it's just buying something and returning it it's just lies oh well i'm all for lies if it uh, benefits the right people yeah but i just love like no matter what question they ask i just say didn't work out just didn't work out they're like what was the problem just didn't work out (laughs) you're trying to like get specific info and you're just like didn't work out (laughs) Uh, how many times have you done that i've done it a lot and i also dj and sometimes like before I had my own mixer, like I would just, I'd need a mixer to go to the gig. So I'd get a mixer. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm just gonna go get a double neck guitar for the fuck of it, just for just for a day to do a bunch of Instagram posts, and it just didn't work out. Didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> and did you fake fruit? Did you do fake fruit? Is fake fruit been the only sort of band that you've the name that you've had? Because fake fruit New York, because there were New York in around, I think it was 2017. There was some press, and they did. They, I don't know if they misspelled your name or if you went by Amato instead of D'Amato. Oh. That was um, in Vancouver. So that solidifies 2017, 2018. And um, yeah, I felt bad. The girl was confused who was writing the article because I was like, you can't use our last names because the borders are so intense and so oh, hard right. Canadians coming into the States. And we've heard stories about, you know, like, friends' phones getting jacked and then being like, what is this photo? Like, are you in a band? Like, it is so intense over there. So we couldn't use my bandmates' last names. Um, I actually didn't know that that ever um, got written until my bandmate recently was like, wow, they like really butchered y'all's last names. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what we wanted. Yeah, even as an American crossing a border with my U.S. passport. Um, I was on tour with uh, one of my other bands, Divorcer, and we were so skinny. We had an American friend smuggle all the gear over the border for us. So we don't have a guitar, drumstick, nothing like that on us. And we split up too. So we wouldn't even like be a band. And we, um, uh, disabled, you know, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Like try to make sure that there weren't any, like I'm a musician photos in our phones and two bandmates took the bus and my bandmate Katie and I are crossing to go into the U S and I guess I had, um, a pack of guitar picks in my backpack and the border guy was just like asking us where we're going. And we had this whole thing about like, we're going camping and we had sleeping bags and stuff to sleep on people's floors. But we're like, yeah, we're going to hit like all these national parks on the way down. Like we had a really good story going and he starts like rifling through my backpack and I had all my belongings in like one Jansport backpack and like my underwear in the front um, part and like an extra bra or something. And then the guitar picks are under there. And he's like asking me questions about orange County. And I was just like nervous. And like, did you know that they shot Forrest Gump on that bench there? <laughs> and panties, And he pulls out the guitar picks and he's like, what are these? And he got all freaky. And I just immediately was like, my dad's learning how to play guitar. I figured he would need some guitar picks. It's a gift for him. And we got away with it, but I was like, damn, I don't even know what would have happened if I didn't like immediately have an answer. That's pretty fast. Cause I yeah. would have bumbled like an idiot and, and probably cried to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I, I did cry a little bit when we were going away just cause it's kind of overwhelming. And you also still feel when you drive away, like are they following us? Like when can we, when can we press play on our music and like stop listening to talk radio? <laughs> authority and especially cops scare the shit out of me and and i grew up in chicago where the cops just fucking suck and i'm a white guy and they still suck (laughs) and la cops scare the shit out of me yeah cops are just i just don't like them no 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 (laughs) it's bad across the board um yeah i'm trying to think well there was one other um, maybe I'm going to stretch this a little too much because I heard this. It's like a local legend. 
in Vancouver. Somebody's band was going into the U.S., and I think same deal. They didn't have any gear on them, but one of the guys was wearing a Suicidal Tendencies shirt, and the border guard must have been like an ex-musician or something, and he was like, mm, I'm going to pull these guys aside, and we're going to like look at their phones and stuff. And it was like this whole ordeal. And I think that they weren't allowed to sell their merch or something like it, everything got messed with. And then when they're finally leaving after all of that, the same border guard was like, all I wanted was a Pepsi. Jeez. Can you believe that? Oh, uh, it was my blood. Yeah. Border, it, it, I don't know. I haven't crossed the border enough to have dealt with them that much. I've, I don't know. I feel like I drove into Canada once with a bunch of film equipment. It would seem pretty easy, but I was also exhausted because I went the wrong way. But <laughs> I had to go back. And anyway, long story. You don't need to hear it. So when did, when, what brought, did nannying bring you down to Oakland? No, um, my sister lives in the Bay Area. Um, she's a sign painter out here and she went to school at the San Francisco Art Institute and she'd been posted up here for a while and we're really close and it was hard to live far away from her and we always talked about living together and there was this place that she found that's like a um, this building that a bunch of artists bought in the 70s and mostly there's like one woman who lives in her unit and then all the rest just like use it as a studio but there was um, a spot opening up there, like a two bedroom and it was just perfect. And I kind of just, even though I had like a year and a half still good on my visa, I just kind of dropped everything to go and move and be close to my sister. And it ended up not working out <laughs> <laughs> and it like blew up in my face in a major way. Um, just because at the last minute, my sister and her boyfriend decided to move into the place together and not have a roommate, which is totally understandable. And now I, now that I live with my partner and like, you know, I want to like marry the guy and I understand like wanting that space. But at the time I just was like, God damn, like I made this whole move for you and now I can't live with you. And like, I feel pissed that I'm here. Like I, I don't know that I wanted this. And I also was long distance dating somebody down here at the time. And then that also blew up in my face. So I was like really done. <laughs> Um, but I'm glad that I stuck it out because I met my bandmates and everything started, you know, working out. That's, uh, that is not a good way to start in a new city. Definitely not. Where did you, no. where did you go live? Um, I moved in right away with my long distance boyfriend of like, I think it was like five months maybe. So obviously it went really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've made similar choices so i i get how and then yeah 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 i moved in with a girlfriend once and then i lost my job and then she dumped me like a month later and i was just like why did you have me move in if you knew you were gonna dump me for another guy <laughs> it was just like yeah. Line up, not yeah right um so how did you find your sort of way in in uh Oakland did you just start hitting clubs and because I always like moving to a city and being a musician seems like the most terrifying thing on earth to me because it's like you know there's a scene it's already exists you've got to find the people that you click with and it just seems like such a challenge to me 
Yeah, it's definitely difficult, but I will say, I think if we didn't all have that thing in common already that brings you to that place, like it'd be a hell of a lot harder. I think when I first moved to Vancouver, I would like go out to bars and feel like so creepy because I was like hitting on people like in a friend way, like just trying to make any sort of connection. And that was like before I knew where to go or like where the shows were. So like I had a taste of what it's like trying to make friends as an adult in a new place without like being at a concert. Like that's the scary shit. Like going to a concert to see a band that you want to see and like having a guarantee that other people are there for the same reason is like a great way to start a friendship, I think. But it can feel difficult to like weave into the quilt of the music community that is like already almost finished. And you're like, uh, do you stitch there? <laughs> <laughs> I can sit there if you let me. It is hard. But um, my bandmates, Alex and Miles, both went to the same college that my sister did. So I met them through her and through my ex, kind of when I would visit from New York and from Vancouver. So I already like loosely knew them. Um, so that made it easier. And I, yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I visited a, a couple times over the years. So I felt like I kind of knew where to go. Yeah, that I just, that struck such a chord, the trying to strike up conversations with people in hopes you make a friend because... <laughs> And you're like, oh, I've like, uh, for me, it was like, you look, you dress kind of, you seem like the kind of person I would be a friend with or, cause, and my wife did it as a couple. That sounds like we were swingers, but we moved to a town where we didn't know anybody because it was cheaper and we could raise our kid here. And I'm like, we don't know anybody. And it was that same sort of like at the park, like our kids are playing. It's like, oh, our kids like each other. Oh, you like Trump? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> it's like, it was just so hit or miss. Yeah, that's another type of making friends that you're kind of obligated to do, like when you become a parent. I feel like I've kind of been in that world too as a nanny, like trying to figure out like, okay, like which parents do I want to be friends with here? It's, yeah, and it's just inevitable. I think we've talked about it like after the pandemic. I'm like, I think I'm going to avoid trying to talk to parents at the park and like, because that, a, that conversation is always just awful if it's just that awkward, like, yeah, so uh, baseball, baseball, things, things, things. <laughs> it's, it's, and, uh, yeah, and we've had a couple people just end up, like, uh, kind of really overly friendly, and you're like, oh, they're really cool and open, and then you just, like, down the road, you're like, oh, you're fucking awful. Like, <laughs> you're just manipulative and weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You around like dead weight, and I have to see you everywhere I go all the time. Yeah, and I kind of like to keep my life private, and just so I don't want to like I don't like going around town and being like, oh, there's that person I can't talk to anymore. Yeah, yeah, I get that. You're kind of like don't shit where you eat. Yeah, that's exactly. Are you surprised with the response to your album? It seems to me that it's like people really dig it, and it's doing really well, right? Yeah, I'm really surprised just like as soon as one stranger um kind of like wrote about it and was like i love it so much like i've been listening to it on repeat like the lyrics are so good blah 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 i'm like who do you who do you know like i immediately went to their instagram profile and was like who do like going against my own more like just trying to find like who we had um in common like who our mutuals were um because i just figured like there's no way that like people that 
don't know me or Alex or Miles somehow, like the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon separation thing. I just figured like, there's no way that somebody I don't know would listen to it or like be able to hear it and also like it. I don't know. Yeah. It's really, it's really wild. Obviously like that's the best case scenario every time you make something and that's kind of like loosely what you want, but it's so hit or miss. And I do seriously feel like we won the lottery because I know so many people all over the world now who are making incredible stuff who I feel like aren't getting the kind of press that we have been given. And I feel like guilty in a way. It's uh, I mean, it struck me right away and I, I've, I think I heard it or I don't know where I saw it, but it was just one of those things that struck, struck me. And I was like, Oh man, this, I can't wait to hear all of this. And it, the whole album is great. Like that's, that's an achievement too, because you know, sometimes whole albums aren't great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, that means a lot to hear. I'm like, I like, can't even make eye contact with you right now. Cause I'm just like, Oh, okay. I, but is it, is it, uh, is it frustrating too? Because you can't, you're stuck at home and you can't fully relish and or revel in the, in the, in it or a little bit I just feel a little bit like okay like I'm on the uh, treadmill like I've amped up the speed I'm like ready to get off this thing and like run the marathon like when is <laughs> when's that gonna happen I do just like feel so excited and we sat on the album for so long and I've been dragging some of the, that song Yoke was like from the first lineup in New York like I think that song was probably written around like 2000. 15 or something like that's been with me for a long time and I feel like I kind of listened to it into the ground and kind of like was just thinking like it's not that good like maybe I should just keep working on the second album and and just like not release this I did think about that for a while yeah (laughs) I'm glad I didn't and now like seeing the response I'm like oh yeah these are good songs I just I'm just like all caught up in my head and I listen to them into the ground. Like you just can't do that. <laughs> it's like crazy making. Do you, do you think there's a connection too with the, with that song in New York because you felt like you couldn't, you, you were holding back in New York. I, I'm paraphrasing what you said, but you, yeah. it, cause that, yeah. those are feelings can linger a long time. Yeah. I was um, kind of grappling with uh, pretty intense anxiety at the time socially because I just when I was out there I wasn't I was always playing in other people's bands and I was a wallflower like I said and I didn't feel like I had anything to contribute and I was around like all these vibrant and amazing people who were like doing all the things that I wanted to do and I just was like I'm just a worm (laughs) (laughs) and I just yeah I would get so anxious and like I kind of got I feel like I got codependent on like a couple of friends and like my boyfriend at the time like I didn't want to go anywhere without them because I was like if I meet a new person like what do I tell them that I do like I can't say I'm a musician because like I don't have any music out in the world and I feel like I grappled with that in Vancouver too and all the way up until the album was released like it's this thing that is like a very real and constant part of my life and my whole world revolves around it but I just felt like I wasn't fully confident in it because I didn't have like something to show people. Um, it, it is that, 
how does it feel then now that it's being recognized and after all that sort of turmoil that you went through? Ironically, now I feel like I'm going through some like imposter syndrome stuff. <laughs> no, but all in all, I am feeling really good and I, I do feel relieved and now I feel like, okay, like people are seeing me the way that I have been seeing myself for a long time and yeah, it feels good. And I think it was just kind of like, it felt like fake it till you make it. And especially with like trying to tell my parents like, no, I'm not going to go to school because like I'm a musician, like I'm playing bands. Like (laughs) I might get to play at the knitting factory, you know, like at the time, like every little accomplishment I had to just like gas myself up over. And now, yeah. I don't know. It's wild. So you felt that that person was there because you said you were faking it to me because you, I feel like, was that something inside of you that you were like, I know it's there. Yeah. It just felt like many, many layers deep. And I just was like swooshing over it with a metal detector. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, I don't know. (laughs) Do you, uh, does, is that affecting the way that you're approaching music now since, since, this sort of, I guess, change? Um, I don't know, maybe a little. I do feel like the second album is going to be a lot more collaboratively written because before, like in Vancouver, I was writing most of the songs and bringing them to the band and then they put their parts in. And then in the Bay Area, I kind of was like, here's the songs, like, let's learn them. And then we wrote a couple of songs together no mutuals swing and a miss and um, milkman which are like i think my favorites on the record now so i feel like the second album i don't have to like be looking so inwardly in with like such a critical eye because now it's like a team thing have you started working on a new stuff album yeah there's some songs already written for the second record but um yeah i don't know all the timing feels so weird because we normally would be touring on this album right now, right? And then getting back and making the next record. But now I guess we have some time to kind of get ahead of the game and start um, finishing writing the record and starting to record it. And then hopefully we can go on tour as soon as possible too, which I don't know when that is, but maybe soon. Yeah, I, I hope I can articulate this well. because I. <laughs> but I've, I listened to the album and... Like I said, it's, I think it's great and I love it. But I also feel that there's so much more to come from you as a band, if that makes sense. Like, I don't, like, I, sometimes you hear a band and you know there's a future and there's like directions where sometimes you hear them and you go, this will be a good album. <laughs> but I feel, I get that sense from you. And do you have that sense at all? Or I don't know, how does. Absolutely. I mean, I told you I was ready to scrap that whole thing. <laughs> songs together I kind of was just like oh, this is this is what I've wanted the whole time I do feel like we all are kind of just like oh you think this is good like wait till you see what we have up our sleeve I'm so excited about that yeah we we have so much energy and yeah we're really stoked and we just want to keep doing it and we want to hit the road and we're yeah we're just like all in I'm glad that you noticed <laughs> That's, I was solely doing that for myself. Um, and I read that you also um, cook a lot. and Because I like to cook. So that struck. But like you like big food projects, big day event 
cooking things? Um, no. Wait, big day event cooking? Well, like, you know, like a big, a big, um, you know, a project, a food project that might take some work. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I also, I do mutual aid cooking sometimes. So I was like, how do you know about that? <laughs> What's mutual aid cooking? Um, I'm part of a mutual aid group. So it's this group that is constantly fundraising to make money to like provide our houseless neighbors with tarps and tents, sleeping bags, like get backpacks filled with school supplies for kids who need them, cook a bunch of food and give that to them. And I like get reimbursed for the ingredients that um, I purchase. And then I cook 50 meals and then somebody picks them up. And then that person if they're out of work, like the distributor can get paid through the funds that are being raised. It's just, it's amazing. That is great. I would look into, um, just, I don't know where you live. Maybe you don't want to disclose it, but just like go into Google and be like mutual aid near me or something. You'll find groups on Facebook and stuff. And it's like a really good way to get involved with helping out your neighbors. Yeah. Like, we, I, I live outside Los Angeles and I lived and the, the unhoused, it's 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 yeah. and the city is not los yeah. i don't live in los angeles anymore but if i did i would probably go punch a lot of uh politicians because what they're doing is just it's upsetting yeah. and there's a lot of the city the people the citizens are upset about it but they're just like fuck you we're gonna do what we want and i'm just like you, you all know you're gonna be up for election right <laughs> it's like you're all gonna get killed by you're gonna get voted out I mean, mutual aid is just taking matters into your own hands because there's only so long that you can wait around for more people who are in positions of power to do the things that, you know, need to be done so people don't die. And you can't, like, wait around and watch that happen. It's, like, so so upsetting. It's upsetting, too, that the, the, the shame... The, the shame that people place upon them. Like, well, you know, like, it's, like, without... it's always assumed that, you know, there's drug problems or all these, and especially after the pandemic when people were losing their homes and jobs. And it's like, how can we as a society be so callous and cold to humans, to people? No, it's majorly fucked up. Yeah. I, I do think it's super important to, I mean, the other part of the mutual aid that's really cool is we're forming relationships with our neighbors and, like giving food to the same people and like not just like dropping off a couple care packages and being like, Oh, I'm the best. It's just like, what do you need? Like, it's going to be rainy soon. Like, what do you need? What do your neighbors need? Like, does anybody that you know need something? Like, it's just like, it's the best. That is great. How did you guys get involved with uh, Sonny Smith? Oh, um, I'm a big fan of his and he did the podcast a long time ago. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he's great. Um, I was DJing some of his, he was playing some shows at um, this old movie theater called the Balboa. And I would DJ those sometimes. And we kind of just got to talking. I think he was like, Oh, that's cool. Like, what are you playing? And I don't know, we just started talking that way. And yeah, yeah, I guess that's how we, that's how we met. And and at one point, like, Oh, I'm in a band too. (laughs) Um, just kind of trying to be like, can I play one of his shows? <laughs> um, yeah, and we started talking and I sent it over to him and he really liked it. And at the time we were still kind of shopping it around all over the place. 
And Sonny was like, oh, we can't afford to do vinyl right now. I'm really sorry, but I'm going to, I'm going to send it to my people and see what happens. And he so went to bat for us and yeah, he like really championed us and we were close to like maybe doing something with fat possum and nothing against fat possum, but I'm glad that we ended up going with Sonny because having somebody who like really believes in you and in the thing that you, I feel like getting missed right now, it makes such a difference. That's, <laughs> that's great. Um, you know, I, you know, it's, it's in that world of creative, it's hard. It means so much when somebody it gets behind you and somebody who is a respected individual, cause it's a, <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Nice meeting you. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with The Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or com or Conversations with The Wire at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.